Phoenix Bible Church. What, what? Here we are. Great to be here with you guys. I've been uh, praying about you and thinking about you. I know your story. I know about Tim in the fetal position in his living room when Mars Hill pulled the plug and Jay said, honey, why don't we plant a church? And he said, I don't know how to plant a church. <laughs> here you are. Praise God. Huh? What Lord can do with a, a brave heart. And uh, one of my favorite stories about this couple, I don't know, if, did you ever tell the one about in college when uh, Tim joined the uh, Asian club just so he could date cute girls in the club, though he has no Asian blood in him, but uh, that's the kind of guy that's leading your movement. It worked, man, it worked, man, it worked. Her eyesight's always been poor, that's right. This is fun, really fun to be with you, and uh, I, I mean it with all my heart. I love Tim, and I know that he's a man that wants God's best for you in this city, and uh, you're in a good place, so good for you. Uh, there's uh, pastors that uh, come in all stripes and a variety of character and heart, and uh, Tim's a real deal, so uh, good for you that you're here at Phoenix Bible. We're in the Great Commission, and... Uh, the verse we're going to focus on today in the Great Commission is uh, Matthew 28, 19. If you have a Bible, take a look in there. Uh, we're going to hang out in Mark 1 for most of the time, but I want you to look at uh, Matthew 28, 19. That's the, the theme for today. I've got it in the New American Standard. Bear with me. I think it's very similar to your ESV. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. That's, that's Jesus' last word to us, right? This is what I want you to do. There's a lot of things you can uh, get confused about and not do very well, but do this. This is his last word. Church, Christian, do this. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And this is not a word for professionals, and we're going to look at the evidence of that, that this is a call to all of us. I mean, when you think of, if you look at the scene there, there were 12 disciples, now they're down to 11, and it says why they gathered, they were still doubting, just like some of you. Even as you're here today on Sunday and you're worshiping, you, you still have questions. Does God know me? Does he care? Does he hear my prayer? Does my life matter? Can, can I be forgiven? Can he still use me? All those are normal questions to have. And, and here's the disciples. Jesus is about to go to heaven. He's handing the baton to 11 guys and entrusting them to change the world. Just no way. And yet by the power of the Spirit, you read the rest of the story, God does an amazing thing through some regular people. I'm a native. Who here is a native? Any natives of Arizona? We should get a free license plate or something, shouldn't we, for that? I'd be some perk. Uh, grew up here, went to Scottsdale High, which doesn't exist anymore. You, you know, they looked at the alumni records and said, you know, we got to just close this baby down. It's, it's been a bad story. So I think if you drive on Indian school down Scottsdale, there's just a sign, Scottsdale Highway, that's all I got. But uh, then I went to Arizona State University and uh, joined, yeah, Sun Devils in the house, come on. And uh, joined a fraternity, and uh, that's when fraternities were down, and so we were about half full. And I was active and doing a lot of fraternity stuff. In fact, at this moment, I'm the president of the fraternity. I'm in student senate. I'm a devil's advocate. I would go to high schools and tell kids why they should go to ASU and not U of A. Not really that drastic. But, uh, but all the while, you guys, all the while, there's this, 
this void that I'm trying to fill. And I knew early on as a little boy that the real me was inside here. I remember asking my mom, why am I in Sandy and not in Tim? So early on I had the sense that the real me is inside this body. And I wanted to know, why am I here and what's it all about? And as I got into college, you know, it was, it, so this is it, huh? So I go to college and I get a degree and maybe I get a wife and I get a mortgage, I get a job, I get a pension, I die. Is this it? And uh, I kept wrestling with, there's got to be more, there's got to be more. So long story short, it's a Sunday morning, I'm uh, ill from too much fraternizing, and the nerd of the frat comes in, he's a biology major, begins to tell me everything you do to your body when you over imbibe. And normally I would have said, there's the door, get out of here. But, uh, I had this sense, something's about to happen today. And uh, his voice was still changing, Sandy, if you died today, where would you be? You know, and, and no one had ever just looked at me. I, Mom had taken us four boys to church, and I'd been confirmed and uh, communioned and all the rituals, but uh, I still had this no sense that God knew me. And uh, he led me through a little pamphlet, and uh, I couldn't believe how ripe I was. I said, Jesus, I think you're who I've been looking for all my life. And it, it changed. For me, it was one of those everything changed. It's like I've been wearing the wrong prescription, you know, and all of a sudden I saw clearly who I am, why I'm here, called my girlfriend, Margie Hansen, the general's daughter. Margie, I don't know how to explain this, but uh, I asked Jesus in my life and something's happened, just want you to know. And uh, four days later at three in the morning, that Thursday morning, uh, she finally was just melted before my eyes by the Holy Spirit and said, well, how do I become a Christian? I said, I've been telling you for four days. Have you not been listening to me? I, I've got all these verses, John 3.16 and Revelation 3.20. I mean, we've got them right there. So now, what, going to be 45 years later, four kids, she's been with me in this crazy call to follow Jesus and make disciples as a professional Christian. That's right. Thank you. But here's why that's important. I... I believe that how you, how you come to understand Christ and begin to follow him, who you do that with will set you on a course for good or for ill. Let me say that again. Who, how you are introduced to Christ and how it is modeled for you, what it means to know Christ and follow him, the people around you, you get, you get indoctrinated in the best sense, you get socialized in this is what a Christian is, for good or for ill. And so if it's a healthy disciple-making movement, you'll get socialized and, and indoctrinated in that. But if it's not, that's hard to overcome. And that's the situation in the American church. When I came to Christ, my, the guy who led me to Christ, that was Sunday morning, that Tuesday night I was at a meeting in a room full of other fairly new converts, ASU students, and some folks from this ministry. And on the wall, it was, it was like a football locker room. It had win, build, send, win, build, send. And it didn't take you very long to get the message. You've been won to Christ to get built up so that you can be sent out wherever God takes you to do the same. But you are to win, build, send the rest of your life. That's what you are. You are now a disciple, a follower of Jesus. 
So I thought, well, that's what everybody in church, they're thinking when built sin, right? So I went back and visited my church that I grew up in and met with the pastor and shared with him and his eyes glazed over and I went to the services and I didn't see anywhere when build sent. I saw sit, soak, sour. I said, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be part of that. But the Lord in his grace had eventually called me out of financial planning and did a bait and switch on Margie. She thought she married a business guy and ended up marrying a pastor. We went off to seminary, same one Tim went to. I don't know how I got in. I know how you got in. You're smart and cute, but I don't know how I got in. And uh, was a, had the privilege to be under some professors that understood that's the call. You've been one to Christ to get built up and equipped so that you can help win others to Christ using your gifts, your sphere of influence. And that's what it means to be a disciple-making movement, to be disciples who make disciples. And, and that's in Tim, and I love that about Tim, and I love that for uh, Phoenix Bible Church. But let's, let's go a little deeper. Let's go in the Gospel of Mark. Can you do that? Hang a right from Matthew 28, and the next page should be Mark 1 in your Bible. Uh, there's three things I want to look at together in Mark 1. Mark's a great gospel because it, uh, to study the life of Christ because there's not so much the teaching of Christ so you can really watch what is Jesus doing. And the first thing I want us to uh, grasp is that the word wilderness in the first 13 verses is here four times. One of the clues in Bible study is if something's repeated, pay attention to that. So we have here the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, verse 1, Mark 1. As it's written by Isaiah the prophet, I'm going to send my messenger ahead of you and prepare a way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Go pave the highway for Jesus, he's coming. They haven't had a prophet for 400 years. They're hungry for a word from God. Most of them have given up any hope that God still loves them, has a plan for them, just like some of you might be today. Is he really coming back? The world just seems to be getting worse and worse. So were the, the average Jew probably had the same thought at this time in history, and then John the Baptist appears. John the Baptist in his camel skin coat, right? That's not Gucci, that's just rough animal stuff he's wearing preaching a baptism of repentance. But notice in verse four where he is. He's not at the synagogue, he's not in the town square, he's not at the rabbi's seminary, he's out in the sticks. He's out at Apache Junction. And you're gonna have to go here, you're gonna have to make an effort. And it's not where the cool people are. You get, so who's gonna come here, this guy? Who's gonna come out to the wilderness? Well, look what it says in verse five. Everybody, all the country of Judea is going out, all the people of Jerusalem being baptized in the dirty Jordan. Anybody been to the Holy Land, seen the Jordan? It's as muddy today as it was then. It was never an impressive river, but it was uh, the place God was doing his business. They're baptized and they're confessing their sins. Imagine if sins could float, you know. If sins could float, what you would just see on the that river going down, all these people confessing, I'm a liar, I'm an adulterer, I'm full of greed, I'm lustful, I steal, I hate, I'm bitter. Just, just getting it all out, just into the river, confessing their sins. 
in the wilderness. Just to see if the wilderness theme, I'm going to jump you again. Jesus is going to be baptized. We'll come back to that. But as soon as Jesus is baptized, verse 12, where does the Spirit take him? To the wilderness. And Mark makes the point in verse 13, he was in the wilderness 40 days. 40 days he's in the wilderness. All the people come out to Apache Junction. The only reason they would do that is they're really starving for hope. They're starving for change. They're starving for a word from God. They are an oppressed people. Uh, They are beaten down by the Romans. The Romans hate them. They hate their race. They hate their ceremonies. They hate their food. They hate their language. The Romans all look down on them, treat them as such. They are so hungry for a word of God. When, it, when people start to say, hey, there's a man, I think he's a prophet. I think he's the real deal. They can't get there fast enough. So here's one of the clues, Phoenix Bible Church. There are hungry people all around you. Don't feel like you've got to make this church so you know, attractive and cool and hip that it'll draw a crowd. You don't want just to draw a crowd. You want these hungry people. They're the people that are ready to confess their sins. They're the people that are ready to repent. You know what repent means? Repent means I was going this way, I was going this way, and then I saw the truth of my sin, and I turned. I repented. I turned around, and I go this way. That might be a missing word in our gospel presentations. That's an important word. That was John the Baptist's word. We're going to see uh, Jesus in... uh, Verse 15, it's his word too. Ought to be our word. Repent. Are you ready to turn? If you're not, it's because you're not desperate enough. You still think your way's working pretty good. So don't wear yourself out with those folks. Pray, God, where's the desperate ones? Where are the hungry ones? Where are the broken ones that might be ready for a change? The wilderness. Let me just say a word. What's the big, John's in the wilderness. Jesus is impelled to the wilderness. Think about this. Moses, raised up in Egypt, fine as Egyptian education. He's at the peak of his life. He's old. He's handsome. He's strong. He's smart. And he takes things in his own hands. And so God does, where does God send him? Wilderness, 40 years. Israel, you've been raised up in Egypt. Finally, when they get delivered, where do they go? Wilderness. David, you've just slayed Goliath. You are the man. You're a king. People are singing your name. What does God do with David? Wilderness. What he does. Ruth. Where did Ruth get clarity about her faith? In the wilderness. This is what God does with us. Some of you are in a place, the word for wilderness means a place of danger of loneliness feels a little bit like the age in which we live isolation god uses the wilderness what happens in the wilderness is he he knocks out all the false props he exposes my shallowness and he's done this to me multiple times it's his grace to you it's his loving discipline to you 
Because he, he died for you. He gave his blood for you. Is he just going to let you go in your selfish, little, miserable, small ambitions? No, he's going to make a saint out of you. He's going to make a man and woman of God out of you. And the only way he can do that is in places of isolation, deprivation, danger. I mean, you might be there right now. Praise God. Don't miss the opportunity. Don't, don't run from it. Don't figure your way out. Don't try to shortcut your way out. That was Satan. Satan was all about the shortcuts. He meets with Jesus in the wilderness. Jesus, you know, you don't have to be hungry. I got a shortcut. Jesus, you don't have to go to the cross. I'll give you the nations. I got a shortcut. He'll whisper to you in your wilderness. I got a shortcut. Don't take the shortcut. Say, God, I don't like this. I, in fact, it hurts. I'm angry, I'm hurt, I'm alone, I've been abandoned, but I'm gonna hang on to you. You finish this, you finish this, Lord. And he will, he will. Ask this couple, their little wilderness experience here, move to Phoenix, be part of a great nationwide, worldwide movement with Mars Hill. God says, no, wilderness for you too. Because he's making this choice couple. and He's doing it with you, all right. Man, so much there. We got to keep moving. You okay? All right. Let's keep moving. Jesus comes to be baptized. I love this scene. Comes from Nazareth to be baptized by John of Jordan. And if you've read the other gospel stories, you know John says, Lord, come on. I can't baptize you. You baptize me. No, no. This is how it works, John. My humanity to fulfill the whole Mission, I want to be baptized like everybody else. And immediately as he comes out of the water, you with me? Verse 10, the heavens open up, the spirit like a dove comes down upon him, and it's like the father cannot withhold himself. He, he just, he must speak. Oh, I, I hope there's video in heaven, don't you? This is one I'd like to be, watch the playback. What is it, what's it like when the heavens open? What did they see? Did they see the host? Did they see uh, redeemed saint? What, what did they see? What did they hear? And then that voice. What's the voice of God? It's deeper than you know, the Darth Vader Star Wars voice. I mean, it, it's a voice that's going to knock you off your feet. And the father says, I, I, I must say this. Well, you know, the translation's kind of lame, isn't it? You are my beloved son. I'm well pleased now. I mean, there was emotion, there was passion. He's the one. He's the one. Oh, I couldn't be happier with who he is. Now, here's, you'll never, it'll take you your whole walk with Jesus to, to believe this, but that's what he's saying about you. That's what he's saying about you. That's why Paul prays in Ephesians 3. For the church he loves in Ephesus, I pray that you will get how much you are loved by the Father. That is so hard for me to stay in that, to live out of that, to believe that. I believe he loves you, but he knows me. But this is, this is what the New Testament will call us. One of my favorite words, we are the beloved, the beloved. But he says to the son, the son now says to you and me that you might know the father's love. John 15, I want you to abide in the love of the father. As the father has loved me, 
I am well pleased, so I love you. That's the affirmation. And then he's off. He comes back from the wilderness where we all uh, periodically must go. It's me. Verse 14, now John was taken into custody. Wow, uh, forgive me, but John is not living his best life now. In fact, if you know the story, John's going to die in custody. He's going to have his head cut off and publicly displayed at Herod's party. I mean, that how vile. So what does that mean? When John was in prison, he sent his disciples to Jesus to go, you are the one, right? Did I, did I miss something? Because I shouldn't be in prison. Have you ever felt like that? I, I, I'm God's woman. I'm God's man. I should not be in prison. I love the fact that John the Baptist is right in the will of God and he's in prison. So don't judge God's love for you. Don't judge uh, his plan for you by hard circumstances. You don't see the whole picture yet. Jesus will say about John the Baptist, oh yeah, I know what's going on with John. There's no one I have higher regard for than John. He said there's no one born of a woman that's more a man of God than John the Baptist and he's going to die in prison. So, so many sermons here. You can steal all this, brother. <laughs> so Jesus starts preaching. Okay, this is great. We talk about this in Bonhoeffer all the time. Jesus is the smartest man in the world. Amen? Amen. Anyone don't want to debate that, right? He's God in the flesh. Smartest man who ever lived. So the smartest man, the greatest strategist, the greatest psychologist, the greatest motivator who ever lived, he has all those gifts, all wisdom. How does he start a movement that's going to last a few thousand years? What does he do? Does he raise up an army? Does he launch a university? Does he get the smartest Pharisees? I mean, this is ridiculous. I'm going to get 12 knuckleheads. Have you read these stories? I mean, I love the humility that Peter, we think, gave most of Mark his content. That's the understanding, right? And there, Peter looks really bad in a few places here. I mean, I, I love that Peter said, yeah, you tell that story, Mark. So he goes and he preaches. Here's his gospel. Folks, don't miss this. Verse 15, here's the gospel. The gospel is not... The Americana version, pray a prayer, go to heaven. Grab somebody, hey, you want to go to heaven? You go, oh, okay, well, pray this prayer. You, Jesus died for you, right? Do you hear that? Yeah, okay, pray this prayer, go to heaven. Good, you're good. You're in heaven. That, so we got all these people that prayed a prayer. They have no idea who they prayed to or that the call was to follow him. Jesus is not playing a statistics game. Jesus is not wondering how many new prayers, how many new converts. Jesus says, I'm looking for disciples. You read it, Matthew 28. He said it to 11 guys. That's absurd. That's the funniest verse in the Bible. You 11 guys, I want you to go to the whole world to make disciples. That's hilarious. These guys have hardly been 15 miles from home. Well, go win the world. That's what he says to Phoenix Bible Church. Win Phoenix. Yeah, right. Look around. Look at the gal next to you. Look at him. You can't. Yeah. With Christ. With Christ. So here's his gospel, dear ones. Repent, verse 15. Repent, believe, and verse 17, follow. 
That's the gospel. Repent. You're going this way. Turn. Follow me. If you're not ready to turn, that's cool. Don't make them. Don't talk them into it. Think of all the people that Jesus let go. I never see Jesus trying to close the deal with someone. In fact, I see Jesus all the time saying, I don't think you're ready. You love your money, rich young dude. Go deal with that. No, no, you don't follow me right now. Go home. I mean, we don't need to feel this pressure. Some of you, when you hear about evangelism, if, if Tim was going to do evangelism training, you'd be like, oh, no, please, I hate that. you got to go knock on a door and try to twist someone's arm to pray a prayer. No. Just say, are you, is your life going just the way you want? Okay, fine. But if they say, no, I'm full of anxiety, I'm full of fear, I'm full of anger, well, I know someone we can deal with that with you. Come follow him. That's the gospel. Repent, believe Jesus is God in the flesh, and then follow him. So he goes to the Sea of Galilee, and he sees these brothers, and they're fishing. They're fishing. I'm so glad for that little countdown. It just gives me peace, brother. Thank you. But I see people looking like, is he done yet? Come on, man. Fishermen. Uh, what would be for you and I here? Construction workers. When you think of uh, godly people, uh, people of high moral content and spiritual interests, how many think of construction workers? That's where Jesus goes. Jesus goes to the job site. See some rough guys telling off-colored jokes, full of prejudice, small thinking, but he sees something in them that others can't see. Now, the one thing about Mark, you, you got to remember, you're, you got to put all four Gospels together to get the whole story. These guys have been listening to Jesus teach. They might have been at the wedding at Cana and seen him turn water into wine. They've been talking about Jesus. Jesus uh, has even sat around maybe a campfire with a few of them answering questions. So when this call comes... And he says, follow me, verse 17, they're ready. And they drop their nets. They drop their nets. That's such a powerful picture. At some point, maybe you're coming to this church because you're trying to, maybe you've been away from church for a while and you're back and you want to see if this is really what you want, what you're seeking. That's good. Give yourself time. Don't, no pressure to close the deal. The key is just start following Jesus. Just start following Jesus, and, and he'll, he'll reveal to you what you need to know. But start following him. It's not a passive faith. It's a call to follow him. And some of you, what's holding you back is your net. Your net. Maybe that's your money, maybe that's your abusive past, maybe that's your job, maybe it's your family. Jesus said, you can't let anything get between you and me, it won't work. It wasn't, he's not being mean, it's not a threat, he's just saying it's the way it works. I mean, any, any good coach, whether it's for playing piano or running track, will not say, now I'd like you to have four different coaches that all give you input. No. If I'm going to make you great, I'm your one voice. I'm your one coach. 
Maybe someone today, maybe you need to drop the net. There's something you know that you've been hanging on to that keeps you from following him. Drop the net. And then just say, Jesus, I'm available. Just like these guys. Jesus, right away, he didn't say to him, okay, follow me now. We're going to do a doctrinal test. I'm going to do a spiritual gifts test. I'm going to do a psychological profile, Myers-Briggs, if you heard of that. We're going to get all that so that I, before I ever turn you loose. It's just the opposite. He's turning these guys loose, and they don't even really know who he is yet. And he's letting them go. I mean, look at the woman in the well. I mean, there's a woman that should have been vetted. And he says, yeah, go back to your town and tell them you might have met the Savior. So let's go. Don't wait till you got all the training, all the answers. All right, let me close with this story. True story. Woman who discipled me and my wife. Her name's Marge Sheets. She's with Jesus. She was a coach's wife, stay-at-home mom, raised a couple boys, loved Christ, wanted to help disciple women. So she had bronchiectasis, lung disorder. So every day she had to be on her own little oxygen machine. She, she couldn't go out very much. That was back in the day when you could smoke at restaurants or they'd have a non in a smoking section, which was really a joke, you know I mean? So it, it, like if she went to a restaurant and there was smoke, she'd be coughing for another day to get her lungs clear. Well, one of the women that found her was uh, Joyce Starrett. Joyce would become the teaching leader for Bible study fellowship. Anybody heard of that? It's a women's Bible study ministry. Joyce was Jewish, she was angry, she was a chain smoker. And uh, Marge would meet with Joyce at her coffee table every week. And Joyce would smoke, she'd blow smoke in her face. She had no idea that when she left, Marge was flat on her back out of commission for two days because of what happened to her lungs. Finally, Joyce surrendered to Jesus, dropped her nets, said, I want Jesus. And when she came to Jesus, then she found out about Marge's disease. She said, Marge, wh why? why? Why did you let me breathe smoke on your face that was going to lay you out for days? And Marge, who had a great sense of humor, said to her, oh, Joyce, your soul was worth more to me than my lungs. I had the privilege of speaking at Marge's funeral, and the church of Conceit About 500 was packed. A little woman, a little coach's wife that never left her home, but said, Lord, I'll disciple women if you'll bring them. And word got out. And I mean, it's like women were lined up at the door. Because she was the real deal. She was loved Jesus. She got him in the word. And Jesus changed lives. You can do this. You just have to say, Jesus, I'm available. I'm not perfect. I love the motto of this church. We're not perfect. But we got a great Savior who loves imperfect people. Amen. You can do this. Let me pray for you, church. Oh, Lord, I, I'm so excited about Phoenix Bible Church, this light here in the city. Uh, I pray that you uh, speak to those who are crying out to you right now in their heart. Maybe they got a net to drop. Maybe they've got some fears and things that have kept them from just saying, I'm available, Lord, use me. I want to make disciples. I want to be faithful to your call. Do your work, I pray, in this sweet church. Bless their pastor and his family and the leadership to the glory of Christ, I pray.